Um, so, okay. First of all, okay. I, I manifested that volcano in the South Pacific. Okay, yeah, tell I, me I about this. I need to get it off my chest. I had a... I had, like, um... The night that, that it happened, as I was going to bed, had, like, a... I must have been a dream, but it was, like... You know when you're dreaming, but you hear a loud noise? It was in certainly it was certainly very early in the night, so it was, like, literally as I was going to sleep. Like, I don't know if I was already... I don't know, I but I, like... Yeah, heard, yeah. heard a very loud noise and felt like I smelled burning. Oh. And so when I woke up and Sydney was like, there was a huge volcanic eruption in the South Pacific and there's a tsunami warning. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense because I heard this sound and I smell. I, I heard this. I, I heard it last night. Uh, dude so it was like I, my reaction to it was entirely like oh yeah i know this already happened because of when and then i started and then i like woke up and like a couple hours later and i was like i didn't hear the volcano <laughs> <laughs> how the fuck could i have known well because you know like when there's a big earthquake you always are like oh yeah i think i felt that i think i felt that like you yeah, don't yeah, yeah. but you're like i don't know i did that with the volcano um Dude, so that's, that's the cool, extent man. of my story. Yeah, I I manifested it. I'm I'm responsible. I, I think you are. So you would be responsible for an underwater volcanic eruption off did, Tonga. Did anybody get hurt? Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try and uncover the truth of the universe, one Wikipedia article at a time. Uh, it has been a while, a good little while. It's a solid while. But we are back, folks. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my um, booming, boisterous bashful co-host alex virgil booming boisterous and bashful yeah they all started as an english major uh and uh yeah and and i of course am joined by my good friend john that's nice i'll take that um it's nice yeah folks it has been um a minute been a few months in fact yeah, months. Uh, we um, we are back. Oh, and by the way, uh, producer Emmy Sack, uh, still oh, yeah. still on a clandestine mission in the South Pacific. We hear yep. that she is now working on um um what? How does she describe it? Um, unnatural it like, weather events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. paranormal weather events. Is that? Yeah, which sounds like bullshit to me. I think they're testing nukes out there. Yeah, uh, we don't know. But last I heard, she was off the coast of Tonga. So Tonga, uh, somewhere off the coast of Tonga. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever happens with that, it, I'm sure it's going to we'll be see. fine. Yeah, We'll um, catch up with her when she's back. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, folks, it's been a couple months. Uh, we, we took a little break. We were both pretty busy. Yeah. I had yeah. a newborn... Virgil had a new job. Yeah. Uh, it was 60 and, plus uh, hours a week for 
two months. Yeah, sixty plus hours of beaten off, man. Uh, best time of my life. Best job I ever had. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, no, we're we're back. Um, we have another episode um, that should be releasing around the same time um, that we recorded about two months ago. So yeah. we'll see if that uh, one holds up. Um, it was like and, October. Uh, yeah, I think it was October. We're recording this in January 16th. So uh, definitely getting back at it. Hopefully you'll be yeah, seeing yeah. a lot more content from us going forward. Yeah, we're recording this. We're going to put this one out first. And then the next episode is going to be an old one. But we're going to... So hopefully it'll be a, a quick, a consistent and quick release of a few episodes to get the rhythm back. You know what I mean? Yep, exactly. I don't know why I felt like I had to... I spell that one out. Well, it's good. Um, mm-hmm. And with that in mind, Virch, do we have any unfinished business? I don't really even know where to begin. No, I, I don't because the one that we would have to talk about is from two episodes ago now. Yeah. Which was what? Airford looks your latrine and starts. Ah, great episode, but... Um, I- I think I think that the content speaks for itself, you know. Yeah, yeah. It is always good to remind the people that that happened. Yeah, but, it is. Uh, nothing more to say on the subject necessarily. Can you um, think of anything? Anything interesting to tell the audience? Uh, no, I. No, you know what? Right. We're just gonna need to. We're just gonna need to start start fresh. Okay, uh, start adios. With, yeah. So so verge. Virg, with that in mind, do you know what time it is? No, I don't, and I can't wait for you to tell me. It is time. Bringing back a classic topic. Uh, it is time for your information. Roar! I, I don't know what that was, but that was uh, a lead-in to um, a absolutely wonderful topic that I found. Um, today I want to talk about Woj Check the Bear. Uh, so Woj Woj Check um, mm-hmm. is spelled W O J T E K. Sometimes spelled Voicek Voitek V O Y T E K. Voitek was a Syrian brown bear. Bought as a young cub at a railway station in Hamadan, Iran, by Polish um, Second Corps soldiers who had been evacuated from the Soviet Union. In order to provide for his rations and transportation, he was eventually enlisted officially as a soldier with the rank of private and was subsequently promoted to corporal. Mm. So, first of all... I mean, I think this has got to be the only soldier, at least in modern, or yeah, modern history. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that I can't even say because we have a great callback, Sergeant, Sergeant Stubbs. Sergeant Stubbs. I was gonna say, dude, you're already yeah, wrong. I'm already wrong. Um, have you ever listened to this podcast? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, so Woshek might be the only bear um, to be. And he was promoted. I, but then again, Sergeant Subby was promoted to sergeant. Sergeant. Man, 
NCO. Well, okay, so I was going to make a joke mm-hmm. um, that feels less less good now because the Americans did it. But of course, a bear was able to get promoted to corporal in the Polish army, right? Like, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> like, there's something so Polish about this whole situation. Um, yeah. But it is a pretty remarkable situation um, because Wojtek accompanied the bulk of the Second Corps to Italy. Um, and he, during the Battle of Monte Cassino in Italy, mm-hmm. Wojtek helped move crates of ammunition and became a celebrity with visiting allied generals and statesmen. After the war, um, mustered out a Polish army, he was bledded and lived the rest of his life at Edinburgh Zoo. Um, so it's just like all happy endings all across the board. And he, I think he really did think he was a human because he was like raised around the Polish army. Um, Mm -hmm. and so he would be, um, he, he, he He was just one of the boys. Yeah. He, he had problems swallowing initially. And so he was fed condensed milk from an old Mm -hmm. vodka bottle. He was then subsequently given fruit, marmalade, honey, and syrup, and was often rewarded with beer, which became his favorite drink. Um, He also later enjoyed smoking cigarettes, as well as drinking coffee in the mornings. He would sleep with the soldiers if they were ever cold at night. He enjoyed wrestling with the soldiers and was taught to salute when greeted. Um, Oh my god. And then here's, this is one of my favorite parts in the entire article, like, because of course it's the Polish army, and then this makes sense too. Um, he was reassigned to fight alongside the British Eighth Army, um, and the British had regulations on their transport ships which forbade them from carrying mascots or pets. And so, oh. to get around this restriction, Wojtek was officially drafted into the Polish army. So. Like, of course, the British have such a fucking stick up their ass that they would not allow this awesome Syrian brown bear that drinks beer and smokes cigarettes onto their like, you can't make an exception for the the bear that thinks it's a human. Like, are you that are you really that fucking it's like making people happy? Yeah, it's making people that you you are fighting for happy. Yeah. Brits. Fucking Brits. I hate Brits more than just about anything in this world. You Sorry really to our British listeners. Um, we don't have any. Yeah, we don't have any. Have any. Um, but yeah, then of course he was promoted as a private. And then um, his service at Monte Cassino earned him the promotion to the rank of corporal. Oh, nice. Which I think is hilarious too because like with the Sergeant Subby situation everyone kind of knew like i genuinely think that the polish army was like well we have to promote him to corporal like he yeah he he served so valiantly yeah for his valor exactly yes Uh, and and you know there's like a a countless number of um human men who didn't get promoted (laughs) after monte cassino that's a great the sergeant stubby situation would make me feel great (laughs) this situation as a polish private i'd just be like what the fuck 
That's such a good point. That's such a good it point. It carried ammunition in the back. Like, I yeah. carried one of our guys whose legs got blown off. Yeah. Yeah. I got shot at. This bear just yeah. carried some stuff in the camp. Like, oh my god. And That's it's like so and it's like true. a raise, too. It's like a raise to be a corporal. So it's not just about, like, having the chevrons yeah. on your shoulder or whatever. It's like... Are you fucking kidding me? This bear is getting paid more than I am to be <laughs> to be doing this shit. Oh my god. I didn't even think about that. Uh but that is it's so true. It's just so true. Like this bear's getting statues built of him and like everybody loves him and meanwhile Ludoslav like <laughs> just can't catch a break, man. Cannot catch a break. He's uh, like <laughs> I got carried to the medical tent and then I went back into the front lines. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome. All right. Yeah. Voice tech. Voice tech. Yeah. That is the start of voice tech. Yep. Mm -hmm. Good for him. Um, all right, man. Can you guys tell it? It's been a little while since we've done one of these. It's been a sec. Look, (laughs) we're gearing back up. We're trying back up. We're really trying. Yeah, we are. Um, uh, so I think it's your turn, Verge, right? I'll I'll go first because this is going to be a fairly quick one. Cool. Um, and I think we should get through it as quickly as possible. Okay. All right. Today I would like to talk about Johann Divit. Divit. Okay. Dewitt. Okay. Dewitt. But it's I think it's like a Dewitt. Dewitt. Okay. Dutch and Polish are two like european like languages slash like histories that is like a bit of like a dark spot on my map i love the there's like memes going around of people doing like the google translator for dutch um oh yeah the spank me daddy or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. give give me ein clap poppy or something yeah i don't understand the dutch yeah, yeah. and i don't and I don't say that in like a I understand Americans and I don't understand the Dutch. It's just like I genuinely just don't get what happened in that area. Yeah, it's a it's a strange place for sure. I just don't get it. Um, but Johan de Witt was a Dutch statesman. Okay, back in the 1600s, he was born in 1625. Okay, died in 1672. He was a statesman and a major political figure in the Dutch Republic in the mid-17th century, when its flourishing sea trade in a period of globalization made the Republic a leading European trading and seafaring power, now commonly referred to as the Dutch Golden Age. Um, So he was kind of like the main prime minister during, you know, the times when uh, the Dutch were really, like, fucking up other countries, I think, in terms of, like, colonization and stuff. Good for him. Whatever. Um, De Witt controlled the Dutch political system from around 1650 until shortly before his murder and cannibalization <laughs> by a pro-monarch mob in 1672. Okay, I was going—I was thinking he sounded familiar— I have read this article probably 15 times. Um, oh, so maybe you can help fill in the gaps because 
it's really hard for me to care about anything other than the part where he gets <laughs> yeah. murdered and cab- cannibalized. So, so I have had like this nighttime. I've probably done done the same Google search like three or four times, where like I'm like reading about something, um, about cannibal cannibalism, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Or I see something about cannibalism, and I'm like. Were there ever cannibals in Europe? And I will Google search. Were there ever cannibals in Europe? And if you Google search, were there ever cannibals in Europe? I'm pretty sure Johann de Witt is Always. either the very first thing that comes up on search, or or like in the front page, the first page. Um, I believe it because yes, imagine having your legacy be so tied to like mm. the only time in modern history that people have ever eaten someone in this region of the world yeah and like very um intentionally <laughs> yes you know not out of like this isn't like a what's the the airplane crash uruguayan rugby team like, right situation this is like um they murdered him and then like ritualistically ate ate him so as a republican dewitt opposed the house of orange nassau and the orangists and preferred a shift of power from the central government to the regentin uh so basically he was anti-monarchy he was mostly about um creating a republic instead of a monarchy and uh the orangists are more the traditionalists who um uh, oh, the word is Prinzgesindheit, um, which means pro-prince stance. So the, uh, which opposes the Staatsgesinde, which is the pro-republic party. So I think yeah. you can understand. Yeah, basically. yeah. Um, they drew its adherents largely from traditionalists, obviously, um, but mostly farmers, soldiers, noblemen, and Orthodox Catholic and protestant preachers um so interesting in that they kind of uh drew from a lot of different classes and uh there were never clear-cut socioeconomic divisions but they definitely did not like johan de witt because this is the this is the sort of thing so i talked talk to you about how he was like uh, he kind of helped usher in the uh, Dutch Golden Age. Mm-hmm. Um, not usher in, but like he presided over the Dutch Golden Age of all and all that. But in 1672, which the Dutch refer to as the disaster year. The disaster year. Classic. I wonder what year the U.S. would consider its disaster year. Um, France, okay. 1672, France and England attacked the Republic in the Franco-Dutch War. Um, Basically, the traditionalists were very mad that that because he was so into all his seafaring and Republic building, he had pretty much left uh, the Netherlands open to being completely just like, uh, taken over 
basically he was too interested in uh building this republic that he didn't give a fuck about like the military he didn't really like care about defenses and all that stuff and the french and english in a very rare alliance straight up just like invaded the shit out of the dutch um dewitt was severely wounded yeah i mean it's it it's really quite uh a a tragic and and horrifying moment in human history um because this guy doesn't this guy seems like like a pretty good guy like he like i think he generally did all right like he was just he was just a you know a a man that cared about making the world a better place uh seemed uniquely invested in the kind of like bettering of society stuff and then a group of people murdered him mm-hmm. and ate him yeah uh yeah can i read this part um yeah read it the brothers were shot and then left to the mob their naked mutilated bodies were strung up on the near public the nearby public gibbet while the orangist mob partook of their roasted livers in a cannibalistic frenzy yeah the next sentence though yeah throughout it all a remarkable discipline was maintained by the mob according to contemporary observers lending doubt as to the spontaneity of the event i can't so i'm looking at the the painting the murder of the david brothers mm-hmm. i can't even imagine how smelly that scene had to be right yeah like Look yeah. at all of these derpy little smelly guys, yeah. Who who like are just sh- you know shitting their pants probably, yeah, probably. And then they're just eating. There's just two human bodies that have been just like fully just cracked open, disemboweled, yeah, disemboweled. Oh God. Yeah, this is the sort of scene that is just like. I can't, it's very terrifying to think that we are all capable of devolving into this at some point. Right. If the circumstances are right. And the fact that it doesn't take much more than, like there's an alternate universe where the January 6th situation. Right. Could have been. Into them people eating Mike Pence. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an alternate universe that's like not not that far off from our own. It it is in yeah. Well, it's an alternate universe that that there are moments that of it that exist in human history. Like human history is more marked by those moments trending that way than the other way, which is also a bit of a sign of our times in a way. I think like of our like stage of development as humans, like. And kind of what we were talking about earlier on the flip side in that, like, we have nothing left. There is no actual struggle for many people anymore. And so we've devolved into this, like, 
decadent and indulgent consumption consumption habit where it's just like Mm -hmm. the only thing that makes us feel alive is like consuming media or yeah you know in you know decadent behavior um but the flip side is that this 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 scene is what Mm -hmm. the is indicative of the past like there's no going back there's no there's nothing to go back to you know right 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 this is horrifying it's it's horrific in in ways that like you can't even really allow your mind to contemplate um Mm -hmm. that's that's the scariest part about this painting yeah is the more you look at it the more it's like this is a full-blown like at the time probably about as as you know modern a society as you get in the general mainstream understanding of what that means yeah and people just were so mad about a dude for a year one year that they ate him right and it's not part of their thing at all which makes me really think like if if the QAnon shaman guys had enough of a green light where they felt like things were going well enough they would have eaten parts of Mike Pence Without purely question. out of like how wild it is. Without how question. wild of a concept that is. If someone if someone had just done it, other the the the, yeah. the mob would have yeah, the group would have done it. Yeah. That's what I don't like. Yeah. That's what scares me the most. Uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, this kind of stuff, these like examples in human history are like particularly I don't know. There's just something so. Uh, yeah, I don't even know the word. Uh, like, like they're just so. Be- I mean, obviously they're believable because they actually happened. Um, right. But it's like I think in our in our DNA, like in our genetics, is like instinctual pre memories of like. M- human massacres happening like this like it's just something so human you know that those traumas like wouldn't be hard to unearth you know like the mm-hmm. the the historical traumas mm-hmm. i think it's like a pretty good example of like you know a good explanation for like human uh, just violence still existing like yeah. vi- violence is an irrational there's no there's no rational reason for humans to be violent towards each other you know mm-hmm. uh in most situations i think uh mm-hmm. and we are just, just dealing with the fallout of shit like this happening over and over everywhere forever mm-hmm. i was just reading i don't remember what i was reading i don't i don't even think it was like a proper thing it might have just been like some meme or some shit some fucking internet whatever and it, it was talking about how um like there were other types of you know homo species there were like nine different homo species at one point mm-hmm. and then they all died out except homo sapiens in a pretty short amount of time and it's like you think like oh it's because of homo sapiens must have been the fittest because of how their brains work blah 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 and it's like 
Yeah, they were the fittest in the sense that, like, they probably killed off every other homo species. Yeah. Like, we have this interesting conception of Neanderthals being, like, brutish and, like, scary. Like, if you ever saw a Neanderthal, you would be scared, right? Right. But the reality was probably that we absolutely decimated Neanderthals (laughs) as a species. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's... I'm not, I mean, I'm sure there is examples of, I mean, there's obviously more than a few examples of violence in the animal kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But aside from maybe a few other species of monkey, mm-hmm. there like aren't a lot, we can't comprehend any examples of like malevolence in the animal species humans ability to conceptualize and carry through the concept of both good and evil Mm -hmm. like is a a clear marking factor as separate from the rest of the animal species right like yeah i feel that our ability to do good and bad and to understand them when we do that like it's it sets us apart you know like it's the the interesting thing about like religious conceptions of morality right is that like what if we can't escape the evil that we're capable of you know like we imagine these to be some sort of like free will or choice but like at large the human species like and i guess this is pretty closely aligned into like christian morality like humans are wicked sinful creatures Mm -hmm. and christianity presupposes that well perhaps you know the son of god came down and died for that collective sin and so you just have to accept that and that's which is a pretty i mean it's a pretty uh enticing you know it's like i can i can be I am sinful. I can be sinful. I don't have to feel guilty about it because, like, I believe that Jesus died for those sins, right? But it's more complicated than that. Like, it is. Evil I think it's is, like, I don't know. I think, like, forgiveness and self forgiveness, like, radical forgiveness is, like, helpful. Yeah. It's good. It, it leads people towards change. But, yeah, like, I think most people see it the way you just said it where it's just like oh well thank goodness jesus did that because we can do little things and then like confess or not confess depending on what church you go to and like blah 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 like we good yeah i don't know i mean yeah i don't know man it's it's hard to it's hard to conceptualize like that scene in the netherlands in that time and to understand what the what it means does this does that does that mean anything to like does it tell us anything about humanity about these people that like they murdered these guys and then ate their livers like or is it just a completely chaotic point in history that like is a part of the rest of the chaos and it's just all i don't think you can separate it from like like it's a part of history 
it's something that we as a species did right and and not because of crazy extenuating circumstances not because of unprecedented times right people chose to handle a situation that generally has occurred before by doing this Mm -hmm. and i think we are and and this is the thing with like post-apocalyptic media and stuff right where they always tell like they always show the crazy people that are like the roving band of marauders to illustrate how quickly we can all devolve into that shit but i think there's something to that where it's like these people woke up fucking like put clothes on civilized clothes on had breakfast and like ate someone's liver right to prove a political point yeah terrifying terrifying um i'm gonna i'm gonna move into mine because it's fairly Please. i don't know i think we can we can certainly find a connection here and like they're pretty interrelated um <laughs> yeah well so i am gonna talk about well i'm gonna start by talking about michael rockefeller Um, Michael Clark Rockefeller was the fifth child of New York governor and future U.S. Vice President Nelson Rockefeller. Um, He was the grandson of American financer John D. Rockefeller Jr. and the great-grandson of Standard Oil co-founder John D. Rockefeller. He disappeared during an expedition in the Azmat region of southwestern Netherlands, New Guinea, which is now part of the Indonesian province of Papua. In 2014, Carl Hoffman published a book that went into detail about the inquest into his killing in which villagers and tribal elders admit to Rockefeller being killed after he swam to shore in 1961. No remains or physical proof of Rockefeller's death have been discovered. Um. So I think that there's probably some connection to talking about like like the the idea of killing, right? And yeah. and what does it mean? Like these are two very different situations of killing, mm-hmm. but also similar in the sense that the victim is um like kind of fully powerless to what happens, you know, like there's no, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they're a a kind of a, an equal actor in the, you know, the act of violence. Like it's just violence being perpetrated on them. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the real reason I picked it out is because I'm fascinated by this link on his page and this term, um, presumed to have died like the 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 concept of of unconfirmed death is such an interesting and like it's just a rabbit hole that you can go down in your head where it's like well there's no proof there's no proof that exists of this guy dying like all you know signs in so many ways like point to his death but he right. is not he is in some semblance of the way like still alive right like yeah 
there's no way to prove it. And so some part of him, his second death can never happen because he is, he is, he still exists in some way. Um, so that so presumed presumption of death is like yeah. uh, kind of kind of a thing that I'm I'm like really stuck on, and I have a, a few others that uh, I tried to limit it to the people who are presumed to have died from the '60s uh-huh. um, that uh-huh. we can talk about in a bit. But I feel like okay, we should give um, Michael his due and talk about him a little bit more. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so he he this all happened when he was 23 um and i think that there's obviously you know my mind goes always back to like that one missionary that like tried to swim ashore yeah. at north sentinel. was it north sentinel, north sentinel island, island. Like, um but he you know michael rockefeller went to the Buckley school and Phillips Exeter and graduated from Harvard. Um, and he studied archeology span and ethnology. He said that he, he said, um, Rockefeller and a friend briefly left the expedition to study the Asmat tribe. After returning home from the Peabody expedition, Rockefeller returned to New Guinea to study and he said it is the desire to do something adventurous at a time uh, when frontiers in the real sense of the word are disappearing. Um, he said, I'm having a thoroughly exhausting but most exciting time here. The Azmat is like a huge puzzle with the variations in ceremony and art style forming the pieces. My trips are enab- enabling me to comprehend the nature of this puzzle. Um which he's just like the you know like he's so american right like that yeah, yeah, yeah that is just such an american the the kind of the idea of the frontier the anxiety of the mm-hmm. frontier going away the arrogance to think that he can like understand another culture like there's some undercurrent of respect but it's also built on some amount of like arrogance yeah. that he could understand these people um mm-hmm. And so the disappearance, um, he was on a canoe. Um, oh, no. They were in a 40-foot, yeah, dugout canoe from shore when their okay. double pontoon boat was swamped and overturned. Their okay. two local guides swam for help, but it was slow in coming. After drifting for some time, Rockefeller said to Wasing, I think I can make it. He then swam for shore. The boat was estimated um, 12 nautical miles from the shore when he made the attempt to swim to safety, supporting the theory that he died from overexposure, exhaustion, or drowning. Wasing was rescued the next day, but Rockefeller was never seen again, despite an intensive and lengthy search effort. Um, at the time, Rockefeller's disappearance was a major world news item. His body was never found. Um, so the speculation... Um, it's speculate... Uh, it's believed that he either drowned or was attacked by a shark or a crocodile. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also been speculated that he was killed and eaten by the asthmatic tribe people. Cannibalism. Tie-in. Um, hey, connection. Connection. <laughs> uh, um, 
he so a journalist in 1969 went to investigate the disappearance and he dismissed um reports of rockefeller living as a captive or a kurtz like figure in the jungle okay which i i mean obviously is the coolest idea right um that would be the yeah yeah but concluded that circumstantial evidence supported the idea that he had been killed um several leaders of a uh, oats john Epp village where rockefeller likely would have arrived um had been killed by a dutch patrol in 1958 thus providing some rationale for revenge. Um, yeah. And neither cannibalism nor headhunting in Azmat were indiscriminate. Um, and then the 2014 book, um, there was a man quoted as saying, don't you tell this story to any other man or any other village because this story is for only for us. Don't speak. Don't speak and tell the story. I hope you remember it and you must keep this for us. I hope. I hope. This is for you and you only. Don't talk to anyone forever, to other people or another village. People question you. Um, that's It's the same thing going over and again. Don't tell anybody. But he did tell any people that um, <laughs> there were similar testimonials around a handful of men arguing and eventually deciding to kill Michael after he swam to shore in revenge for 1958. Um, soon after the murder, uh, the villages were swept by cholera epidemic, and the villagers believed that it was retribution for killing Rockefeller. As Hoffman left one of the villages for the final time, he witnessed a man acting out a scene wherein someone was killed and stopped to videotape it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the story of Michael Rockefeller. I think he got murked. But, um, yeah. But I do think I it's do... interesting. The it's like, good. this is this the the presumed dead thing is like the more interesting schrodinger's cat yeah situation I, it is it is certainly and similar to johan devitt who mm-hmm. clearly did a lot of stuff in his life that should be remembered for the dutch golden age or whatever but is remembered for his murder uh and cannibalization like michael rockefeller didn't do as much in his life but the most interesting it would he is more intriguing as a historical figure not because he was likely killed by natives in the south pacific or in the indian in indonesia area um Mm -hmm. it's more interesting because they don't know what happened like because of the mystery of it all and i like the uh, different options like this specific story is like you know, into the wild. Yeah. Like, uh, he he's comes from a fairly wealthy family and goes out for his, like, little, you know, his uh, walkabout. And uh, obviously he eventually dies. But um, I like that it's a Rockefeller. Yep. I like that the three options of what could have happened were the elements got him, mm-hmm. the locals got him, or he's, like, possibly alive living out a thing which makes it only better because he's a rockefeller yeah exactly yeah that he's some sort of like king of rockefeller king of the jungle um yeah Yeah. super intriguing um all right so i have three other all all men um from the 1960s who are all missing presumed dead um Mm -hmm. all fun in their own ways um 
a lot of missing stuff like if you there's wikipedia articles that are, are are you know lists on wikipedia it's just like list of missing people and most of it obviously is like children and like like the kind of like true crime stuff that sweeps over right i'm less yeah. interested in the true crime stuff i'm more interested in like um like people that just vanished you know and like, yeah 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 um so the first one is Masanobu Suji, um, okay. who is a, or he went missing in 1961. He was a Japanese army officer and politician. Um, big, big, big time war criminal. Uh, okay. Just like about as, about as um, hardcore as Japanese fascists Uh-oh. come. He really looks like a, like a war, like, <laughs> not just a, a military imperial Japanese army guy from that era, but like a war criminal. Yeah, like he he's among the most aggressive and influential Japanese militarists, um, mm. and he's a was a leading proponent of the concept of Geko Kujo, literally the bottom overthrowing the top, um, by acting without or contrary to authorization. He incited the 1939 border clash with the USSR and was a vehement advocate of war with the United States. He also oh, was responsible for two Japanese atrocities, one being Suk Ching, which was a systematic purge of the um, Chinese Malay population in Malaysia, oh, okay. and then the Bataan Death March, which was a um, march across... Um, an island in the Philippines where like 15,000 Filipino and American soldiers died, like under terrible conditions. Um, yeah. So fascinatingly though, and I will say this is um, one of the things Japan doesn't get um, dinged enough for, but mm-hmm. Japan's like Nazi equivalents, like mm-hmm. left Japan and then they came right back. Like, you know, like this guy, um, he hid out in Thailand after the war, so he didn't get tried as a war criminal. And Uh then he came back. um, When is it? He he came back in 1949 and was elected to the Diet, like the Japanese Congress. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That tracks. And then in 1961, he disappeared um, in Laos. And it's okay. It's possible that he was killed in the Laotian Civil War. Um, he, but he also, um, it was declassified in 05 that he worked as a CIA spy. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so there is, there's some speculation that he like somehow became like a laotian politician like there's like all sorts of speculation about what happened (laughs) yeah um but in reality what likely happened um he went to viet uh he went to vietnam and he was kidnapped by the chinese communist party um and then probably killed in captivity but he was likely kept captive for over a year 
That's what the CIA thinks. Damn. Um, I hope. I. I don't yeah. have a hope for how like which of the Michael Rockefeller like things happened. Yeah. This one, it's like I hope he just like rotted in a. Yeah. He's a he was a really bad a bad dude. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna go into the amends Japan has not made. Yeah, since World War Two, but that is definitely we're gonna put a pin in that because that is something that needs to be talked about. It's a topic of conversation. Yeah, that should oh, yeah. absolutely happen. Japan has not handled World War Two properly. Yeah, in the years following. Um, one hundred percent. Okay, so number two. This is probably my Who favorite else? my favorite presumption of death. Um Carl Robert Dish. Okay, cool. 1965. Yeah, it's not just Japanese war criminals, I promise. Um <laughs> uh, so presumed dead in nineteen sixty five was an iono ionospheric physicist for the National Bureau of Standards who went missing near Bird Station, Antarctica on Ooh. May eighth, nineteen sixty five. Okay. Um, he was a um, was stationed at Bird Station. Um, he had to walk to the main station complex, which was seven thousand feet away. Um, okay. And just that's far. It's far. Yeah, that's over a mile away. Um, yeah. And. He, I guess there was a bad ice storm that day, so the visibility was very low. Um, and when he didn't arrive, there was a search party sent out for him. He was spot; his trail was spotted, but the search party had to return to his the station to refuel. Upon their return, the trail had been covered by drifting snow and was never rediscovered. And despite exhaustive searches, um, he was never found. Um, and so three days later, or no, six days later, the search was called off. He is presumed dead and his body has never been recovered. Um, he was 26 years old. However, um, the disappearance of Dish has spawned many conspiracy theories, and they are given legitimacy by an alleged message transmitted to McMurdo Station in 1971. The author of the message claiming to be Dish stated that he was alive the message has been disregarded as a hoax um but if you but it's fun it's super fun and if you search carl r dish um like you know you go to reddit for example there's a whole thread on unresolved mysteries like um people being like well he was super experienced at walking that trail like i don't understand how he could have you know the main theories on this case or he got lost in the weather conditions, but some people question this as he was quite experienced in his line of work. He fell into a crevice somewhere. He intentionally left or committed suicide. Alien abduction. This is out That's... there. This is out there because his footprints just stopped and didn't continue. Um, okay. And then another person said uh he was working for or abducted by the soviet union which i also find hilarious <laughs> um i love that so this is the i think the most open-ended like and the most interesting of like what could have happened yeah he more than likely died like got swept away by the storm and died in 
the worst conditions in the world but um it's fun to imagine it is fun to imagine because the antarctica thing and this is where it's just i've seen too many movies the antarctica thing the footprints the uh, low visibility in a storm he had to walk over a mile perfect conditions for him to be encounter a cosmic being an ancient cosmic being you make a good point lovecraft style you make a very good point not perfect conditions for just you know getting killed by the elements perfect conditions for a crazy supernatural timeless dimensional yeah event i love it the hulu how do you how do you say that the love count it's i've always just said cthulhu because that's just the most but i know that like lovecraft's official trans or like pronunciation of it it's some really weird it's like lovecraft yeah great writer real big racist absolute garbage person yeah but cool sci-fi concepts yeah (laughs) but terrible but terrible um and okay last but not least last one yeah um our boy archie e mitchell oh do you remember archie mitchell is this is this the the missionary guy this is balloon bomb deaths balloon bomb guy yeah i saw the name on there and i was like wait i've read about him before um yes yeah, yeah yeah Daniel which Amstutz. was which was only the preamble of his of his life exactly bomb. so so the three people that were captured at the Ban Me Tuat Leprosarium um yes taken captive by the Viet Cong in 1962 were never seen since and so there is no yeah. there is no they are presumed dead but there is yeah. no record of it and no proof. Um, that one of the three feels mo- well. Okay, that's not true. I was, the second guy, Dish, feels like he probably just died in a, in standard circumstantial manners. Um, this one, I feel like, yeah, they probably just got in a fuck around and find out situation with. The people that live there yeah but at the same bummer. time i don't you i don't know i don't i'm not quite um especially because they they left like willingly without any any bullets yeah. or bloodshed at that like i just don't know like i don't i do wonder what that what those last days were like were they mm. were they horrifying were they like um and peaceful peaceful i don't know we don't we will never know like we, it, we'll know. it's it's schrodinger's tragedy right you know it where is, it's like it is. it's like you just don't know what their death was like and i think this is a cool thought experiment because it i think it like uh, reveals what where you're at as a individual as an individual about like either how you want to go or just kind of like where because all three of these 
my thing is like i i hope they just realized that their western life was not it right in some moment and like in a very terrence malicky like thin red line kind of way like decided to just go off grid yeah 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 yeah. you know like more so than the like ancient alien stuck in ice killed dish i want him to just be like yeah i'm gonna just walk yeah you know yeah and however long that lasts whether it's like you know 10 years of wandering or three days like it's all kind of the same thing ultimately right you know which is like so indicative of where i am mentally right now (laughs) fair (laughs) or yeah right now since the beginning of this podcast yeah no i get that i mean it is interesting i mean the 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 element of mystery surrounding their deaths allows you to prescribe any number of like feelings to to the end like yes it could be horrifying like you can imagine michael rockefeller like being roasted on a spit right but you but you could also imagine him like just like his body literally disappearing and him like being absorbed into the you know the spirit and energy of the earth like yeah it it could be it could be anything it literally could be anything yeah oh i like that and i like that it's like i can't even really like add on to that because that's what that's just the extent of it it could just be anything and we just have to sit in that yeah yeah um the japanese guy though i hope he just got absolutely wrecked yeah he got he got murked he for sure did i mean he just he he got he got taken yeah fucked up by the chinese communist party i think mm-hmm. and i'll be totally honest that it completely comes from my shame of of that yeah, yeah of my people where it's just like i hope he just gets swept under the rug in a violent violent way and we never remember him yep yeah uh and then hey, yeah that was uh, yeah oh you got you got no I, i'm good i'm final good final thoughts no 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 final thoughts i think i think we'll leave it there i think we've got a nice open-ended yeah. Yeah. um but yeah it's fun i think that that's a fun topic thread there's much more to um mm-hmm. that is both sad it's like a it's like a a a a, a there's a it's a feeling I can't like quite put my my uh, finger on like what exactly to call it like thinking about those. I think people. that's the th- I think that's what it is though. Is like for me for me it's like we live in an existence that is like you know paradoxical, right? Yeah. The yin yin yang being like a visual representation of the fact that like both things are right and wrong and exist in the same space and like make up the whole and like all this stuff. And so the idea of sitting in this liminal space of not knowing which linear path that person's life took and having to contemplate the reality of all of it, the possibility of all of it, and not knowing and not ever knowing and like not being able to articulate what happened to them is like 
weirdly the closest thing to that unspeakable just like the same feeling of just like yeah we just like can't we just can't know yeah yeah and i i like that feeling because it bring it's weirdly brings me closest to back to what i feel like is that essential uh feeling of existing yeah exactly no couldn't have said it better i I love it i feel like well let's end on that on that note on that feeling um if you are out there listening you've been waiting a long time we appreciate you uh let us know what you think of the getting back into the the swing of things yeah we'll we'll get back back there we haven't we haven't allowed our minds to be thinking a lot about this stuff the last couple months so um we are excited to get back into it uh but we we appreciate you guys we're on twitter and instagram sometimes but not whatever just find us on you know wherever you listen to podcasts this is the hegelian friendship simulator uh signing out